Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and ask that you guide and lead us as we look at your word and help us to see what you'd have us to see as we're wrapping up the end times in this book. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and stone where the beast and the false prophets are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose, from whom, whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and, the, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the final judgment. <laughs> um, the, the beast and the prophet were cast into the lake of fire right after... <coughs> before the uh, thousand-year reign, millennial reign, that is very short. There's not much on the thousand-year millennial reign. It's just God reigns for a thousand years and lets Satan loose, and we covered that really quick. Uh, much of the prophets, what they talk about about the end times is for, for Israel, is, I believe, is the millennial kingdom. And then it says at the end of that, Satan has been released. He, he tempted the people, and, and God destroyed them. If you remember in verse 9, he destroyed sent sent fire and destroyed all the enemies. Very quick battle. I mean, when God does his battle, they're very quick. We talked about that when he came and they, and they tried to fight against him at the beginning of the millennial kingdom and he just wiped them out with the word. Here fire came down and destroyed the, the multitude that were going against him. And at the very end of that battle, the devil was cast immediately into the lake of fire and brimstone. And it says, here's another one of these verses that talk about eternal punishment. They're tormented night, a day and night, forever and ever, it says. And then we're going to see that all the people who have rejected God are going to have that same fate. And this is a hard thing for people to accept, that a God of love would put people in a torment for the rest of eternity. And you'll hear people say, well, how can a God of love send people to hell? Well, nobody is sent to hell. He gives them what they have chosen. And this is very important for us to understand is that God is not sending people there. He is given what they've chosen, and it is righteous and just for him to do that. It would be very unrighteous and very unjust for if he was to say, okay, well, you rejected me all through your life, but I'm going to let you come to heaven anyway. Uh, for all those who obeyed and followed him the way they were supposed to, that would be the most unjust thing that God could do. And we in heaven will understand that anybody that goes to hell is going there because... They chose it. They chose it. Yeah. And rejecting Jesus Christ. Re by rejecting Jesus Christ. There, there's, you know, will we be somewhat sorrowful at the fact that they may be there until God wipes the tears from our eyes? Probably. There would be people that we might even have thought we're going to be here, be there with us. Uh, there are going to be people that we love so much that we wished they were there with us. But God will show us that they deserve it. And that's going to be the whole purpose of the white throne judgment. And uh, we're going to look at the white throne judgment in verse 12. And there was, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and heaven fled away from, and there was found no place for them. Now, this is a very interesting picture of God. Because it's going to be God, probably Jesus himself, sitting on this throne as well. And this is a one that is not a loving time. This is not one where he's got the big smile and, you know, you're accepted. This is, number one, there's going to be, I believe he's going to have tears in his eyes as well at this point. Because these are the people that rejected everything that he has done for them. And there's going to be the fierceness, possibly even anger. Because here he's done everything that could be to bring them to him, and they've rejected him. Because all their life they rejected him. It, it yes, wasn't like just one year, it's their whole life. And he's going to show them every time that yeah. they have rejected him, and this is what's going to happen here. 
that they've rejected him. And there's going to be some anger, just like any of us. If we've, you know, if you've gone to a great big effort to produce a family meal and get together, and then you have a bunch of the family just say, well, I'm, at the last moment, I'm not coming, or I don't want to come, or worse yet, causing problems once they get there. There's that anger. You may or may not show it, but there's that anger that I went through all this effort, and you rejected it. And here he's sitting with that attitude. This is, this is not the loving, the loving Jesus that we, that the Lamb of God, this isn't even the conquering hero up at this point. This is, you've rejected me. <laughs> There's going to be some anger in this and, you know, and sadness because these are his precious creation that's chosen to, re to reject him. And nothing flees, and, and he, this shows his omnipresence. Nothing, they try to flee, but they can't. They want to flee. And I don't know if you've ever been in that experience where maybe you've committed sins and you're, and you're so convicted that all you want to do is get away from God at that point, not so much draw close to him. And here we're seeing they want to draw away from him, and they can't. And it's the white throne, and it says, He saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things were written in the books according to their works. And I believe that this works is the rejection of Jesus. Because the sin is not the issue at, at this point. Because the only thing that sends people to hell is, is the rejecting of Jesus. And I truly believe that this is when God is going to be looking at people and saying, you know, not so much here's a list of all your sins that, are, that yeah. you've committed. Because you know, we've all committed yeah. sins. Jesus paid for those. It's going to be, here's where you heard the gospel. Here's where and you rejected. Here's where you heard the gospel and almost, almost turned, but you rejected. Here's where you heard it. Here's where you heard it. Here's where you heard it. There will not be any doubt in their mind when they're sent into hell that they're getting what they deserve. And it talks about the book of life. Now, book of life is mentioned in quite a number of places. And it says that your name must be written in the book of the life to be able to enter heaven. And it says that here the, their names were not written in it. In the Hebrew Old Testament, when they went to war, they wrote everybody's name in a book that they called the book of life. And as they were died in battle, they took and blotted out their name and because you're no longer alive. And this is what I believe God is using when he says this. These are the people who have chosen against him, rejected him. And in, in earlier in, in Revelation 17, it said that they were blotted out, you know, the book of life and was blotted out and everything from the foundation of the earth because God knew who would, number one, be alive. And then number two, who would accept and who would reject? And it's not a surprise to God. None of this is a surprise to God. And, and as I say over and over again, why God created us knowing... Because he knows it all. I mean, he knows mm. who's going to be rejected, who isn't going to yeah. be rejected. But he, but he created us knowing but, that, that a lot were going to reject him. Knowing that man was going to sin. Knowing that man, the cost it was going to... to that he'd have to pay to redeem them and knowing as Jesus said many in that day will say Lord Lord didn't I knowing that many not not even most <laughs> would accept him but that many and most would reject him and yet he came and he created us <laughs> and he paid for whatever portion of the population accepts him and it never gives us a percentage and never tells us how many but the thing that scares me the most is when Jesus said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And we look around our churches at all the people who claim to be Christians, but tend to not get excited about the word of God or worship or, and I can't judge them to say, yes, they are, or no, they're not. But, you know, when you look at his word, many, you start wondering, are the people saved? Because like you say, people can go to church. That doesn't mean that they're saved. Right. Because they go to church, they're thinking, well, I'm saved. They can but, say they're a Christian and they're yeah. not saved. God knows the timing is right to be in alignment. Because I was reading the Daily Bread. And why doesn't, why didn't Jesus come now when we have video, DVD, right. internet, uh, you know, media to 
which will eventually be your angel all around the world prophesizing Jesus. And anyway, it was the thing, the timing was right 2,000 years ago or more to do this. It had to be. Yeah. It'd be but, nice if it would have happened now. Well, it would have been a different, different world. Return now, right? It would. It wouldn't have. The world wouldn't have lasted if he had not come when he did. Probably. You really realize how wicked Greece and Rome was. Oh yeah. They would have been judgment. You know that would have continued. The the Christianity turned the world upside down and tempered the world for almost two thousand years. We've always been looking forward to the return of God. The disciples thought it was going to be in their time. I just hope it's not going to be another million years. Like I'm just saying, you know, I hope it when when I go, it's going to be you know soon, 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 it, soon. It is one of those things where know, we, don't we don't know, know for we sure. Don't know, yeah. As evil as our world is, unless there's some great revival, it's not going to be much longer. And this is what we want to remember for all people who are Christians when they die, they're much better off. Oh, yeah. Now, even if we had a great revival and this world was basically somewhat good, godly, and, and as it was, you know, at various times in history, it's still not the place we want to be. And that's why God says precious in, the sight of, in his sight is the death of his saints because they've come home. They're, they're, they're out of... If we could really see how this is not a good place for us, even when it's good, we would be saying, I'm so happy for this person who's gone on oh, to I, heaven. That's how I feel. I'm and happy. That's why the when I know they're Christians. You know. Church that I spent back east, you know, they always called memorial services homegoing services. And I loved that. You know, it was a homegoing. They went home. And there are no more pressures, no more, yeah. no more problems there. And we're just tying up all the ends of this. And so we have the white throne judgment where the world is going to be judged that have rejected Christ. And we see here that it says, and in verse 12, I saw the dead small and great stand before God. Once you're at that point, it doesn't matter what, who you were or what you were. Everybody is equal. It's, it's going to be the same as they say that everybody's equal at the foot of the cross when they accept Jesus. Well, when it comes to the white throne judgment, they're all equal too. Equally wrong. And, we, and we've brought this out. The white throne judgment is just for the lost. Okay? Those who have accepted Christ have gone through the Bema seat judgment that we talked about a while back ago. And that's where our works are judged and burnt up, not, not so that you could say this is what you've lost, but again, we bring this out. So we could say, here's your rewards. Now, I do believe he will show us the rewards that we didn't get because we weren't obedient, mm -hmm. because he wants us to know that there was so much more. And I, I believe no matter how obedient we are, there's going to be a great big pile for the stuff that we didn't do, but there's still going to be something. There's going to be something that he has done from us that he can reward us. And be blessed by and at this end time it's just the lost everybody standing at the white throne judgment is headed for hell no rewards huh no rewards no rewards, rewards they they're, they're getting their their reward but it's not the reward they want they they're getting what they do, what they asked for and their reward is is hell and again we would not use the word reward but that is what it is you know, their reward is their discipline and it's all according to their works. All the times they rejected Christ, they earned it. And this is very important for us to understand. They are not going to be saying, oh, here's, you know, you did these good things and you did these bad things. There's no scale. It is, they rejected Christ. It's done. Because that is the only thing, because Jesus said there's only one unforgivable sin, and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when we reject Christ, because that's the Holy Spirit's primary job, is to bring conviction of Christ. Now, once you're saved, he's got a whole other set of jobs, <laughs> and that's to lead to truth into understanding and to and give us the spiritual gifts that it takes to get through to follow the but word for into... his primary job for the world is to bring them to yeah. Christ in the first place bring conviction and bring us to Christ and so rejecting him and, and blaspheming him is when we're saying no I'm going to totally ignore what you're 
your job and I'm going to reject Jesus. And that is what leads us into, why do we come to church? We come for the fellowship. We come for the instruction from the Word of God. But you know, the problem is, and for years there have been pastors that try to tell people, you've got to follow all these rules and they get after you about not, I'm not going to be that way because I'm just going to show this is what God says. You do what you want to do with it. And I've had people come to me, well, what should I do in this situation? I go, I don't know. I can tell you what the Bible says you yeah. should, should think about, but I can't tell you. I have enough trouble doing, doing things right in my own life, much less trying to tell other people how to, what they need to do in their life. I, all I can do is say, this is what the Bible says. You know, Jesus said we're two or three are gathered. There he is in the midst of them, and this is what it means to be in a fellowship. God talks about us coming together in a communion, a commonwealth, a, a grouping together, and you want to be with people who think like you do, especially in this world. You know, this world has got so much going against us. In our day and age, we've got everything going against us. TV, books, the, the government, everything is going against what Christianity and the Bible teaches. We need each other to be able to support one another and have people who think the way the Bible tells us to think and be able to just, I don't want to say let necessarily let your guard down, but there are those times when you just need to feel like you're not in the middle of battle. Yeah, you know, and you need that support. Even though, even though we need to be careful, even as we're being taught and listening to one another, but we can let our guard down just a little bit more than we would the rest of our day. That's why um, I don't even really watch TV anymore. Sometimes I don't turn on for a couple of days. I, I don't even want to listen to the news. And, and then being in this little town, I think, well, maybe sometimes I need to learn something. But I don't want to listen to the news anymore. I don't like it. Well, it's just, but everything about what goes on. And, and yeah, even, even the channels that give us the news that we might agree with are still, yeah, still slanting it and, and, and moving it in a direction. And... TV shows are, go, are, are pretty much negative as far as the Christian viewpoint. The movies are, the, the, the music, the, you know, just about everything you have is going against God's viewpoint. Sci-fi yeah, stuff. <laughs> well, just last night, uh, yesterday, That's I was over at Natalie's and um, I, I got Netflix and so we, could I ordered again, Flywheel. And I, so we watched it, she really liked it, that movie Flywheel. Mm -hmm. But this whole thing that comes in when God judges in the white throne judgment, it's going to be a perfect judgment. He's going to say, this is, you're getting what you deserve. And it says the sea gave up the dead that in it. And then we get this little death and hell delivered up their dead. Okay. Everybody who's died before this period. Okay. So death and hell holds people as a temporary location. Um, well, death takes people and puts them in, in hell. You know, hell is the place where they are carried into. Basically, it's you, the same word. And are these non-believers? These will all be non-believers because the first resurrection was the rapture. Right, because the dead that are in Christ are already are already, are already taken up. They've gotten their glorified bodies. They're sitting. They're sitting in the stands or wherever wherever we're going to be yeah. during the white throne judgment whether it stands or we're you know, off in the earth or wherever, but, but death and hell, when people die, then lost, they're going to be held in, in hell. Now, when people died a long time ago or whatever, and they're not Christians, are they in hell now or just, mm -hmm. so, okay. Right. If they're not Christians, they are yeah. in hell. Those who, those who have believed will go stand yeah. before God and be in his presence, just like, just like Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So believers are present with the Lord. And I disagree with many people who say that even before Jesus, that they were temporarily stuck in hell until Jesus. No, God knew that he was going to be the sacrifice. I do not believe that that whole compartmental thing that gets taught. John said uh, that. Huh? John said out of the body we're with the Lord. Paul. Oh, Paul. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, but that goes, I do believe that in hell they can look up into heaven like a one-way mirror and see what they were missing. 
and that's part of their torment as well. That's my personal belief, and that's why when Jesus gave the description of sitting in Abraham's bosom, I believe that it's their picture, the Jewish picture of heaven, not not this compartmentalized hell. God says, I am the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, they were still alive. Yeah. now, will I get dogmatic about people on that? No, but it is just my personal, very strong personal belief that God has never sent them to this temporary compartment, you know, because he had to wait for Jesus to actually sacrifice himself because he's outside of time. He's, you know, um, had a friend and I discuss one time that God being outside of time, it's possible that all of us when we die end up at heaven at the same exact moment, <laughs> as far as God's perspective. <laughs> Because he's outside of time, so we, we're all, you know, and it's kind of interesting when you think way outside the box on that. Uh, so we don't, we don't know. Again? <laughs> I'll talk about it later. It's, it goes way into physics. If God is outside of time, we could literally, in His presence, show up all at the same time. Because in heaven's perspective, his time's so different. Yeah. Because his time's totally different. So yeah. it could be that when we all, you know, he goes, this, this is just a little blip, and you know, our entire existence is just a small blip. You know, so. Right. Time you know, So, it it is very interesting when you start getting into the physics thoughts of those things. <laughs> For those of us who like physics and. Crazy, crazy, crazy thoughts. So that they're all judged. All of the dead were going to be judged by their works. And that is literally, I think, the rejection of Christ is what they're looking at here. And then it says in verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the eternal death. Death takes people from, the, from God. Hell is the holding place. Literally, it's kind of like the holding cell in, the, in, the, in our judicial system. You're, you're put into the holding cell or the jail until you go to court and you end up going to prison. So if you want to kind of follow that mentality, they're, they're in jail for a short period and then they're headed to their life sentence in their prison. And that's what he's saying here is that as soon as death and hell give up their dead, they're cast into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is literally what, what most people think of as hell. And hell is not a good place. <laughs> Hell was punishment. Uh, you know, the the rich man when Jesus gave the the uh, story of the rich man and Lazarus, he was in hell and burning and hot and and in torment. The lake of fire is even worse because <laughs> it's going to be the eternal. And so, as soon as death and hell are emptied out and and, and given up. Uh, they're cast into the lake of fire because death will not be part of the new creation. And always remember, death started because of sin. And this is critical for us to, the first mention of death is all the way back at Genesis, and it became because of sin. All right? And this is one of the greatest reasons why we have to believe in a literal day creation with no gap in the middle of all of it like people will try to say or that dinosaurs and everything were before man because death happened because of man. If you have death before Adam and Eve sinned, you've got some real issue, theological issues. and means that the Bible has, is, cannot be true. So you've got, because there are people that will tell you, well, there's no, it's not really important whether God created the earth in six days. It is extremely important because, yeah. number one, it says so. And if that very first sentence, you know, two chapters are not right, then we've got a real problem with our book. The only, so, thing, I don't, yeah, the only thing I don't like is that yeah, but she's not the one that's condemned for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam's the one that's yeah. condemned for it because he chose. Yeah, so that's good. She was deceived, and <laughs> she was deceived, and he chose. So, um, but we just—I bring that up because it's so critical. Because even I hear it frequently, oh, what's a big deal? You know, well, yeah, what's a big deal whether you believe in creation or evolution? Well, there's a huge deal as to where death and why death started. And if, when, if you break that chain of why death occurred, 
You've got a major issue with everything else in the book. The entire theology of the book falls apart. And this is why I am absolutely convinced that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are probably the most important book uh, chapters in the book to understand because they are the foundation for everything. Why is there death? Why, why were we created in the first place? Why is there a family? What is a family? Uh, you know, all the stuff that's in there is there for a reason. It is the foundation for everything in the book. And, if, and that's why Satan attacks it so much. He's trying desperately to destroy those chapters because if he can destroy those chapters, the rest of the book is easy to destroy because you don't have a foundation. And if there's no foundation on something, it will fall apart. And we see that oftentimes when people build these little quick shacks and stuff without a foundation and the first wind comes along and blows it down or an earthquake shakes it, you know, because there's no foundation. And God's got a foundation. All of this stuff falls apart without his foundation. And here we have death finally being destroyed at the very end. And then that last little sentence in verse 15, uh, chapter 20. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right. Whoever has rejected Christ, not written in that book or blotted out of the book, whatever the case might be, ends up in hell. This is the seriousness, and the lake of fire goes right back up to 10. That is permanent. <laughs> okay, it's not, you know, not temporary. It's not, you know, going to be, you know, they'll, they'll just suffer for a time and then it'll be annihilated, as a lot of different religions will try to tell you. They're, they're going to suffer because a loving God wouldn't make them suffer for eternity. Uh, God created us, and this is something we've got to remember. We are not eternal into the past, but we are eternal into the future. Okay? We have a starting point, but from that point on, we are an eternal being going forward. And we will have an eternal existence, whether it's an eternal life with God or an eternal death without him. We were created as eternal beings. And that is part of the image of God that we were created in. The whole part, of, the big part of that e e creation in his image is that we are eternal future. <laughs> I want to be careful because when we say that, well, I don't want to get us thinking, well, we had some past, you know, some past existence. And, and there are religions that teach that we have a past existence. Okay? And you've got the Mormons who believe we were spiritual babies, uh, spiritual babies until we were sent down to earth to be tested. Uh, you've got those who believe in reincarnation, that we've been all for, you know, we were eternal beings and have gone over and over and over again in life trying to be perfect. So I want to be very careful when I say we're etern we, our eternal life, uh, existence has a beginning and goes, what we would say, forward in time, but not backwards, that so we have a beginning. Any questions on chapter 20 before we go into 21? Now we start getting into the good news. Yeah. <laughs> all the, all the, all our negatives are kind of disappeared here at this point. Chapter twenty-one, verse one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God which uh, is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. After the white throne judgment, we see the destruction of all of the old. And in Peter, he tells us that it is going to be by fire that he sees it being destroyed. And I believe literally that God just says, he's the one that holds all things together. He's just going to say, okay, I'm going to let him go. And you want to talk about an atomic uh, blast uh, the, the, that would be everything, everything in heaven and, heaven and earth being totally let go by God. Adam's blowing up everywhere. Well, it's just like I'm thinking like how they had that whatever thing in other countries just like recently. 
I think dirty died or whatever. I, that's nothing compared to when God's coming. He's going to be half the world. It's going to be half the earth probably. Well, when he lets go, everything's gone. Everything, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. You know, there's a transition between 20 and 21 that we're yeah. kind of missing. Okay, we have to kind of go to Peter and where Peter says everything will be destroyed by fire. Why does it have to be destroyed? Because it's been contaminated. This whole earth, it says, has been contaminated. It, it waits for its redemption. It waits for its correction because it's been con contaminated. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, they ruined everything in this world. Everything in this universe was ruined by the sin of man. The whole of earth is not correct. And this is something we can't comprehend. You know, we can't even begin to understand heaven. Even as we get into this chapter and we start seeing the description of heaven, we can't comprehend what a perfect environment is going to be like. We can't comprehend what it will mean to have no sin nature. No desires against God. And to be perfect. And be perfect. You know, we can't understand how God will reward and how those rewards will go forever. But it says that everything is new. And this word new means brand new, never before seen, just as it does in, 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 in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17 where he says we are a new creation all things become new in our life. When we're saved, he makes us totally brand new in our thinking, in our way of desire. See, that's what I can't grasp. Cause it, like, I don't know, it's just it'd probably be totally, totally different. I mean, and I can't even imagine Anything. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to be totally. The streets of gold. And once we're glorified and, and, and meet that whole thing. But even think about this. When you are truly saved, do you remember back when your mind changed on different activities that you do and all of a sudden things start bothering you that, that are going on around you or even that you were doing yourself and, and you go, this is just not, you know, and you're being convicted and you're, you know, and we still to this day are that way, yeah. you know, and then God grows us and we, and we start living more in that newness that he's given us. And we start realizing, as you said, the, the TV bothers you, the news bothers you, the books bother you, uh, you know, doc, certain doctrines are taught in the church might even bother you as, you know, as you start getting more and more into God. And it's all because we are new. Now, we don't live in the newness of, of what God gave us all the time. The more we get into his word, the more we wash our mind out with, of, of the old and put his word into it, the more we live in that newness of his life and the more we live according to the way he wants and the more that we realize that we're just strangers in this, in this crazy world that, that should bother us. You know, and this is very important. The world that we live in should bother us as Christians because of the imperfections in it. And that's even if we're in our own nice little world where things are seeming to go good, there's still the imperfections in that world that should be bothering us. And the problem that we have is sometimes we get familiar with those imperfections and they no longer bother us because we kind of sear that conscience and say, well, nope, I'm, you know, but then we get into God's word and he opens it back up and we start seeing more and more what's going on around us. And this in verse 21 heaven and earth are new now the question on this heaven this word for heaven literally means the air the the universe and can also mean heaven itself and there are there are people who believe that it's all three that are destroyed and then recreated i don't know i'm not so sure about the third heaven whether it's going to be destroyed or not it's that's God's abode. Satan has had access. And their, their answer is Satan has had access to that heaven because he was thrown out of it. He's had access to the throne room. And so they, by that logic, say it's contaminated. So I can understand what they're saying and where they're coming from. Uh, we know absolutely for sure that our atmosphere and the heaven and the universe that we know will be destroyed. Now, whether that includes heaven that Satan has had access to, that's, I'm not gonna argue one way or the other on that one because I can accept either answer. 
and because I was trying to figure out, was there any indication in the in the Greek on this that on what of those it is? And it's very hard because that heaven is the same word for all three. <laughs> There's no distinction. So could it be all the way through to where God's abode is right now? It could very well be, and maybe there's some other level. You know, God God could be further off in this into the dimensions that Satan never had access to, and so he just disappears for a while in those and recreates. Who knows? You know, it's uh, I'm not I'm not worried about it. <laughs> That's God's problem. <laughs> you know, if he just wants to purify his heaven and and start all over with the creation or destroy all of it. He's above it all. He can do what he wants. And there's no clear indication on that. So I'm not going to argue with those that say that it's all of it. And I'm not going to take a stand one way or the other on, on whether it's not. But it does say the first earth, uh, heaven and earth have passed away. And then it says there's no more sea. Now we know there's lakes. We know there's, we know there's rivers. Uh, That's kind of sad. It... <laughs> It could literally be. It could literally be that there is no sea, but the Jews have always looked at the sea as tumult and and trials. Uh, they were not seafaring people. They they did some boats, you know, on the on their lakes, but they they never looked positively on the sea. And there are people who believe that this is a figurative statement, and it doesn't really matter whether yeah. it is or isn't. There's going to be rivers, you know. There's going to be lake, you know, the lakes and stuff. Of course, we we're told that we're told at least one river. Uh, so I will take it that there is no sea, but it could also be a, a figurative statement at this point. It doesn't really matter. Uh, as long as there's lakes and rivers. There's lakes. Yeah. There, there definitely, well, there's definitely a river. I mean, we're going to read about a river here very soon. It's, uh, and we see see all of that. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go for but the... But even like that, I mean, this, is, this may sound weird. Like, if there's a sea, is there going to be boats or what? I don't... Or do we just, like, walk on water or... Hey, know. we're going to have our new bodies. So Jesus, wa Jesus was able to walk on the water, so yeah. we can probably walk on the water, and maybe we can fly. I don't know. I don't, it's just... Yeah, it's it's not going to be important to us oh, at yeah, that I, point. Yeah. If there's no if there's no sea, God will provide whatever it takes for you to be happy. If you need sea, You'll He'll give you He'll give you something that is better. Yeah. And this is why we've got to keep in mind whatever is. It says it's all brand new, never before seen. This new heaven and new earth is going to be so different. It's going to be so pure. Because it is number one is going to be pure, but yeah. But He says new untouched, undefiled, never before seen. So who knows what it's going to be like? Uh, you know, the best, of, the best of whatever's in this world intensified to the point where we won't even recognize it as, as being a, you know, the, the, because God uses the term that this is a shadow. You know, this is a shadow of what is to come. And you know, if you're a movie buff or anything, you get these foreshadowings, you know, where, where sometimes you don't know they're foreshadowings until you've, you know, until you've seen the whole movie. But, you know, but it gives you this little glimpse of what is to come. Barely. You know, sometimes they have to explain it, you know, but, you know, that it was a glimpse, you know. But, but that idea that they had to explain it really shows you kind of what's coming, coming our way. I think what is so cool about all of this is that nobody in this world here knows what's going to come, how everybody predicts this or they're going to do this. Nobody knows. We don't, we don't, you know, we because... Don't. I mean, no. I mean, you can sure have pictures, imagine, have these things, you know, but like you say, we don't know. We could be totally wrong on... But these two chapters are the only glimpse of what heaven is really like in the scriptures. Yeah. I mean, there's these little things you're going to have in, yeah. you know, but these are the only place where there's any kind of description. And, and we're not even talking about heaven here. We're talking about the new heaven and earth. Yeah. So we're not even talking about what we call heaven now. We're talking about our eternal state. And this is the one place where when I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses and they'll say, well, we, you know, we're going to live on the earth. You know what? They're right. We get in here in chapter 21 and 22, we're going to live on the new earth. So I'm not, but where God is is heaven, so I'm not going to worry about, 
And that's one place where I won't argue with them on because it very clearly says we're going to dwell on the new earth. We will have access to the heaven or whatever else, but you know, but I'm not going to sit there and argue with them because this is very clear as we get into this that we're going to dwell on this new earth and there's going to be some kind of governmental system on this new earth as we get to the end. All right, in verse 2, And John said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And there's a literal city coming down, but there's also that bride that is being adorned. And this takes you into a, a really com complex thing because we as the bride of Christ have already celebrated our relationship with God. The the period of the thousand years is developed mostly for the Jews because they're the ones that are going to survive primarily through the tribulation. There will be a handful of others, but primarily. And God calls Israel his bride. Okay, so we're seeing his bride coming at this point. His bride, Israel, coming to him. Israel being made who they've always believed that they're going to be because God promised them the center of all worship and all rule will be Jerusalem for eternity. And God over and over in the Old Testament says, Jerusalem that I love, Mount Zion that I love, Mount Zion, you know, that he will dwell there. So the Father is going to take his bride and dwell at Jerusalem. Now, we have this building that we're going to see, the, this city. And I believe that we have our dwelling places in this city as well. Because God, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And that and is... have that many mansions. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mansions are... We, we would use the word suites yeah. rather than... Because when we say mansions, we're thinking of our own individual buildings all over the place. And what he's saying is, you're going to have your suite of rooms within... Yeah, yeah. And, and I've always said that some people are going to be down in the basement with their little studio <laughs> studio apartment. Others are going to be closer to the penthouse with their whole floors, depending on what they've earned in reward. Okay, And that's the kind of how, I picture, how, how I've pictured it. Uh, when we get to the description of this city and the size of it, we'll realize there's plenty of room for everybody. And we'll know that this city has to be in this new kingdom because it couldn't exist in our kingdom, in our, in our universe. And so, but it comes as the bride, the bride adorned, beautiful. And we think about that, you know, uh, when, when you have the marriage, now the women don't recognize it so much because they don't, you know, the man stands down there and they see their bride coming to them, you know, and they're dressed up and, and you know, there's that awe involved. And maybe they do, I don't know, but you know, there's that awe involved as you watch this person come down the aisle. And this is what that picture is there, that this person's been dressed up, made perfect, and shows up. And then it says, I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. We see the union, the final union that has really been out there forever that God has wanted. Where we see the picture of marriage from the beginning was that man would leave his family and, and be one with his wife. And it's that picture. And there is a strong union that is made in a marriage. Uh, and it becomes very strong over the years. And you know, sometimes it's kind of funny, you see people who've been married for a long, long time and they start thinking alike, they start sounding alike, you know, they're, they're, their activities get very, you know, alike. Not that they're 100%, you know, there, but they start getting that whole very much alike position. And they know, you know, they know each other so well that they know, you know, they don't even have to ask the other one what they want to do because they kind of know what it is they want to do or, and, and, we, and we've seen this over the years, but we've also seen that Satan attacks so much on the marriage that he tries to drive them apart. And God said literally that they're joined together, and he meant glued together 
or welded together. And we've talked about this. When people are joined together, if you get a good glue or a good weld on something and try to break it apart, it doesn't break on the, at the glue. The glue doesn't break. The weld doesn't break if it's done right. It tears, the, tears it all apart. And that's one of the reasons God hates divorce is because it tears two lives apart, much less the fact that he wanted them to be joined for forever th and, and trust in him. But here's the bride, and we see that God says he's going to dwell with them. This is the tabernacle of God. God literally comes down to live with his creation in the new heaven and new earth. And it says that he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and he himself shall be with them. This is powerful when you see this. The, the union that God is planning for the new heaven and earth is even more intense than it seemed to have been in the very beginning when he came and he walked with Adam and Eve. But we're back to that point. It's come full circle. He's not only just walking with them us at this time, he is living with us. It doesn't come down like he did with Adam and Eve and talk with them in the cool of the night. Here it's, he lives with his people. We're getting a taste of it now when the Holy Spirit, when, when Jesus said, you know, I come to live in you, the Holy Spirit lives in you. We know a little bit about what this is like if we're really living with him knowing that we're in fellowship with God. And here we're going to see that very intimate with no sin to break it, no evil to, to drive it away. And he comes and he lives with his creation. This is a very powerful picture because it is the completion of what we see at the beginning. And we're coming full, full circle. Okay. Almost everything, as you go through Genesis and you work your way up where God to chapter 11, where he just, you know, gives us diverse languages and says, because of man's coming together, they're going to be like us. As we come full circle, we see the reverse order. Man is starting already to get back to one language for all practical purposes. We can communicate with anybody in any language now. And if you got some smartphones that you speak it in and it'll, it'll translate it to, and speak it out to, in somebody else's language now. We're, we're back to one language. We're seeing mystery Babylon religion becoming very strong in its possession. And we're going to see the very end here was where God goes back to the very beginning, how he wanted it to be all fresh, all perfect, in a perfect union with us. And we're seeing everything being developed. And this is one of the reasons I kind of believe we are as close to the end time as we possibly can, because we're back to one language. Where we're in, and that is how Satan was trying to raise up everybody against God. And we're starting to see <laughs> this whole process going on. And I don't mean one language literally that we all speak, but you know, we all know what it means to be able to communicate with other people now. And, that, you know, and we can, you see it happening more and more that we have that communication now that is drawing the people together against God. And unfortunately, that's what they're doing. They're going against God as we draw closer to one family. We're seeing the pressure to have one world government out there. And for most of you, if you haven't been around the academic circles, that is what they believe. And that's why when you listen to your politicians, they're all saying the same thing all across the world. You now we need to get rid of the borders. We need to get, you know, we just need to be one world family and then all our problems will be, be, be settled if we could just be one, one family because it's the, the individual countries that are the problem. And, you know, you start listening to them and they're all talking about exactly what the book of Revelation talks about. So we're very close. And then the whole idea that there's no right or wrong in their minds, you know, that takes us back into everyone doing what was good in their own eyes. And so unless God does a very strong miracle and brings about a great revival, we're right there at the end, right at the end. Can God bring a revival? Absolutely. Will he? Don't know. Don't know if he will. 
I don't think so, but I'm not God and he can do what he wants. No, seeing when you compare the beginning and where we end up, it kind of explains the patience that God's had with all the different generations because he knew he was going to get back there. It's coming back, yeah. yeah. And this is why God knows the beginning from the end. He sees it, he sees it totally different from us. Uh, he sees the whole panorama of history and knew it before it even started. Uh, and he knows how it's going to end. He knows how it ends because he's already at the end. Uh, and this is important for us to understand. Nothing is surprising to him. He knows, he knows where it is and he's had the patience to allow things to work their way through because he knows the end result. And it's kind of like any, you know, if you're running something and you, and you know where you're going and you know the direction things are going as best that we can know, you can, you can put up with little things going wrong because you know it's moving where you want to go. And God is saying, I'm going to be patient. I know that I'm going to work things for good. And his good is ultimate good, not just short-term good. And his perspective is so much deeper than ours. You know, we, you know, we in our day-to-day -day things, you know, we're, you know, and I like to say, you know, we, you know, we want patience, but we want it yesterday. You know, you know, we'll let we'll let things work, but you know, God, I, I want this to be fixed, but fix it, you know, yesterday because I don't want it fixed even today. I don't, I'm not even wanting it fixed today. I wanted it fixed yesterday, and you know, uh, and God is saying, I'm just patient. You know. He told the prophet when he complained that he was the only one that hadn't bowed his knees. He goes, no, I've got 500 that haven't bowed their knees. You know, you quit, you quit belly aching. You do what I told you, and, and I'll worry about the rest of it. And we tend to be just like that. God, I've got all the answers. You know, I'm the only one, you know, I'm suffering, and I'm the only one trying to do this. And God's saying, no, you're not. I've got, I've got plenty of people. You just do the part I've told you. And this happens also, I've seen it happen in businesses where you tell somebody to do their part and they go, well, they don't, well, what about this? I go, I've got other people doing that part. You just do your part. And God's the same way. He says, I've got it all under control. I've got people doing their job. You just go out and do your part to the, of the job and just leave the rest to the other people that I've got set up. But we tend to want to say, we're so important, we're such a great piece of this puzzle that without me, nothing would happen. And that can be very tough when, you, when God is using you and you're seeing results. And you're saying, wow, God, you know. But God could have used anybody. And, and as we're studying in Numbers, you know, you know, with Balaam and his donkey, God used a donkey to, tell ba you know, to save Balaam's life and, and, and talk to him. God can use anything and anyone. And a matter of fact, he wants to use the humble. Because it's so easy to get to say, look what I have done. Look what I am accomplishing. <laughs> and God's saying, no, this is, where, this is where we're at. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this. We thank you for his, your desire, number one, to use us, Lord. That you've got a plan that you want to use us for whatever small piece that is whatever big piece that is it's your plan and we ask that you help us to see and go forward and we just thank you as you use us and we allow you to use us and lord we thank you that in the end it'll be as you wanted it to be that we will walk with you and dwell with you and we just thank you in your son's name amen